Hello and welcome, dear friends. I am Nicole Beecham, and this is the Energetic Pathway Podcast, Journey Back to Yourself. I invite you to join me each week as we explore stories, insights, and resources through the lens of vulnerability and authenticity with a little bit of humor along the way. Let's dive into today's topic together. Hello, everyone. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Good morning, Brock. Good morning. How are you? You know, I'm good. I am energized. I am ready to get into the topic we have today. I think it's going to be an interesting one. It's a little bit newer for me. So I hope I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, thank you. So today, nice putting us um, into the the topic, Brock, we're going to continue talking about emotional dysregulation, which we explored a little bit in the last episode about what regulation is, what it looks like if you're becoming dysregulated, and then what you can kind of do in order to start taking those steps back towards regulation. So today, Brock and I are going to dive a little bit deeper with our personal experiences around the topic. And I'm actually, I'm excited that you aren't familiar with the terms, Brock, like that this is kind of like a new topic to you. And it's something that I think is going to be beneficial, like as we dialogue for others to be able to pick up on the nuances of the terminology, um, but more importantly, to be able to name the experiences that we all have as humans. So to be able to put a name to what we go through. Yeah, no, that's, it's beautiful. I think being able to name things is the first step in healing, right? And so the more language we can create, more language we can learn, um, yeah, it's only good things. So, so what do you got for us? Uh, what What are you thinking today? So we explained what emotional dysregulation was last week. Now, now what, Nicole? Yeah, so I think I want to dive in with what does emotional regulation look like for you, and to put that into very layman's term, what does it look like when you start to feel like everything is okay, like where you feel like you're safe. It doesn't necessarily have to be happy, but content, maybe a sense of contentment, a sense of peace. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's interesting. Like it's a very physical reaction. Um, like I think whenever I feel peace, um, there's really just like, for me, it's a mental clarity thing. So thoughts are a lot harder to get through my brain like there's this fog and almost this wall that kind of takes a little bit extra effort to process things whereas whenever i'm emotionally regulated uh it it honestly just feels that much smoother right like um it's really interesting like it kind of the way that i talk about it with some people it feels like i'm like a child um just Mm -hmm. trying to like grasp all these concepts of life versus um actually being like an adult in command of what i have going on i don't know if that makes any sense but uh for me it's like a really interesting it's like a it's like a switch like i i know when i'm good and i know what i'm not and it it's Mm -hmm. a i'm a whole different person almost and i can kind of mask it uh, but internally the experience is so different I love that you mentioned the childlike aspect. Like I find that that's so true. Like when we're emotionally regulated, it's like we're free to play. We're free to have curiosity and to view the world in that childlike aspect. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. 
do you have a gauge of what that feels like in your body, like physically in your body, what that may feel like for you? Yeah, I think um, that's an interesting question. Uh, for me, it, it's almost like I'm sluggish, like my body is really sluggish, like slow to respond, slow to be excited about something. Like, I think whenever I'm not regulated, I'm very much a person where I will only do what's in front of me. Like, if I don't have a glass of water ready for me, like, I won't go get a glass of water and I won't drink water all day. Like, if I'm not in a great space emotionally, like, it's like a sluggish, lethargic like not apathetic. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm thirsty, but I just won't do it, which is just the strangest thing in the whole world. Um, whereas whenever I'm regulated, right? Like it kind of, it's like a well-oiled machine. It's like, I know what I need and my body, like kind of just responds faster. Like it, mm -hmm. it's really in my arms and my hands. Like I'm slower. It's almost like when I'm dysregulated, it feels like my hands are chopped off. Like I'm like walking around without the ability to interact with the world. Um, if I was going to get super dramatic with my language. <laughs> um, whereas when I'm regulated, it's like, okay, I can actually grasp things. I can actually like, um, but yeah, it's this, it's this interesting thing with my hands. I had like a, um, like a counseling session where I kind of like came up with like, that's kind of my, my issue uh that's actually where one of my tattoos comes from it's like a tree it's like in my life early on it feels like my branches keep on getting chopped off and i'm not able to like reach out into the world but now as i'm as i'm learning control as i'm learning to be more of myself like my branches are growing out and i'm able to interact and shade others and mm. be more present and um yeah so that's kind of how it represents in my body it's like a arms hands type of thing yeah, I love that. I love hearing, well, first about the tree tattoo. Like I'm I'm obsessed with the way that tattoos can actually, I don't know, like be a marking, a marking of, ah, thank you for showing it to me. I love that, Brock. Um, how it can be a little bit of a marking. So a marking of our life, of our experiences, a reminder of where we've been, a reminder of where we're going, a reminder of our goal and intentions in life. So I think that's absolutely beautiful. All of my tattoos hold very symbolic meanings for me as well. Um, and I also like that you're explaining it how for you that looks like your arms are removed. Like you physically are limited in what you're able to do and how you're able to be there for yourself, like to go get that water or how you're able to be there for others, like shading your friends and being able to be present. It's like if if we're trees and we don't have any branches, like if you'd imagine just that, like what the hell do I do with myself? Like today I don't have any branches. Yeah. And that like, again, is this idea of like that language for me. It's like, okay, it starts to make sense why I'm off is because my branches are gone. Like, mm -hmm. and that's either like somebody has cut them off of me. Like it's an, it's an external, like an emotional trauma or something happened or I've, chopped them off myself it's it's winter time all my leaves are gone my branches have rotten and they've fallen away right like and so like that's kind of like how I've created language in my life to be able to know whenever I'm regulated or not it's like uh I don't know I have a hard time introspectively 
discovering when I'm there. And so I need some of these symbols, right? Like that's where this language is actually exciting for me is it's helping me just understand why I've already kind of created some of those symbols. Like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that that's where I'm at. What, like, as, as you're hearing that, like, how does that relate to your story with d- emotional dysregulation and like finding that, like, like, what does that look like for you? Right. Cause yeah. I've always felt like that's like, I'm a kind of strange with that, right? Like I haven't shared that analogy with a lot of people. I tell people my tattoo is cause I like nature, right? Like, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, how is it represented for you? Right? Like maybe that shows people that, Hey, maybe we're all in the same thing and I've hit the jackpot on my analogies or like, you're completely mm-hmm. different. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, it's exactly that. Like we all have, we all have emotional dysregulation. That's part of the human experience. And not only do we all have emotional dysregulation, it shows up. It's present differently for everyone. And so for you where it feels like, you know, your hands are chopped off and you can't you can't do what you need to do for yourself and for other people. And you just have like this, not exactly a dark night of the soul, but the, the winter season is upon you. And like, the, the reality about that aspect is we have cycles, like just like in nature, we have these cycles. We go from, you know, from spring to summer to fall to winter, and they're all intentional. And there's even certain types of foods that we should be eating in certain types of the year in order to nourish certain organs in our body. Like we are part of that natural cycle and our emotions are part of that as well. So I think that that's a beautiful analogy. And I'm, I'm also just very glad you shared that with us, like the authenticity behind this is what my tattoo really means. And yeah, I think that's beautiful. And I also love the connection that you have now linguistically for it. Like, so now it's not just a symbolism for you, but hopefully we're able to now like move into dialogue, which allows you to have a better linguistic understanding of what the hell is happening in your body and why it's happening. And may it be okay when you're having those times. May it be okay when you're having those spaces because we all go through it. Really appreciate that. It means a lot. Yeah. And and I think like the thing is, is like, okay, now that I've got this language, right? Like I still don't know how to do anything about it. Like I don't know how to grow back my my limbs, um, my, my branches, right? Like what, like as, as you find yourself maybe a little bit farther along in this process of like how, like interacting with this topic, right? Like what are those things that help reground you whenever you kind of are on the outside of that, like emotional tolerance? Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's first being able to recognize when I'm dysregulated like and it shows up a little differently for me when I'm emotionally regulated so like when I am in my window of tolerance when I am in my my sweet spot or like the zone of comfort I feel it head to toe now like that's not something that I've always felt but I'm so much more in touch with my body that like it literally will present as like chills like comforting chills like warming chills like in my legs like you know when someone says something and it just really touches you deeply, like it touches you emotionally and like you just resonate. It's that feeling. So like I literally now, yeah. and this wasn't always the case, like I would feel it head to toe. I can feel it in just like this calming in my chest because um, I hold a lot of my stress and my dysregulation in my chest and in my gut. 
So a calming in the chest, like calming in my gut, an intense feeling of peace. It's like peacefulness. And to be real with you, honestly, even today, even several years into the journey, whenever I feel this, it's most likely I'm going to be outside in nature by myself, um, typically on my patio, like somewhere where I know that I'm safe, somewhere where I know um, I can be connected to nature and all of my resources are nearby. So it's definitely, I think, a, a juggle and like a battle. And the emotional dysregulation for me is the exact opposite. Like it ranges, it it depends on whether I'm, I'm hyper aroused or hypo aroused. But it's either an anxiousness in my body, like I can feel the tightness in my chest, I can feel the unsettledness in my stomach. Um, for me, it can show up in a symptom or a feeling I have very rarely, which is frustration, like feeling like I'm not living in my design and my purpose. Um, it can show up that, that way for sure, definitely in some frustration. It's always internal frustration. It's, it's very rarely frustration at other people. It's more like frustration because I'm not into the comfort of what I want to be feeling and what I know is now possible. So it's like, damn it, I know that's possible and I can't get back to it. And that pisses me off right now, which, by the way, is resistance and doesn't help. Like that's 0% helpful in getting yourself back regulated. And so the hyperarousal, I can tell that my thoughts when I'm in that state and my speech patterns, everything is sped up. My walking is sped up, like everything is on is like on speed. And then when I'm hyperregulated, so dysregulated on the opposite side of things, like I don't want to get up. I mean, I think it's kind of similar to what you're saying when you're saying that you don't have, you know, branches, like you can't reach out and do the things that you want to do. And for me, maybe it shows up more as not having roots. Like I I can't, I can't like feel grounded into the earth. I feel um, flighty, kind of like I'm into the clouds. Like my head is it's very hard to focus. It feels like there's a fog and I don't have racing thoughts when I'm in that, that essence of dysregulation, but more as like a physical desire to not do anything, but not in a peaceful way. And there are thoughts that are tend to be associated with both sides of the, the patterns as well. Um, when I'm hyper aroused, when I'm in my more overwhelmed or anxious or sped up mindset, my thoughts are going to be racing and spinning. And I may be replaying conversations in my head or thinking about my to-do list, things I need to get done, when I need to have it done by. It's just relentless. It's like the brain is on overdrive. <laughs> and then on the other side, my thoughts, um, yeah, I'll just name it. They feel darker. Like it's like questioning, typically not in like, I, I don't want to be here type way um, or anything like that, but just like questioning, like, what is the point of this? Like, what is the purpose of this? Like, why am I doing this? How can I get out of the situation? How can I get into a better headspace? So like the thoughts are just more trying to figure out how it makes it better or giving up on trying to figure out how it makes it better. So it's like not an acceptance at all. I think in both of these states, there's no acceptance. There's no like peacefulness. And so that's how I can kind of tell like, yeah, I'm so out of my window of tolerance right now. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of mesmerizing hearing all of that, right? Like it's like, I think 
the language that you've been able to put around it feels so farther along than anything I've ever even thought about with it. And I don't know, it's just kind of fun hearing, right? Like how you're able to not only just pinpoint all of these different stages, but assign them to emotions and assign them to feelings and this assign them to reactions. Like, does it get distracting whenever you like are in a, in a moment in a space and you're hit with something like this, like internally, like, right. Like you might be out having to do something dynamically. Like you might be teaching, right. Like in your hit, like, how are you able to process this? Cause it's so much information and nuance and like internal and like very personal and like very powerful. Like how are you able to process mm-hmm. this while still functioning? If that makes sense. <laughs> Oh, patience. Patience with myself for sure. So I can give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was very much hypo. So in the dysregulated in the sense, like I did not want to go teach class, like just being very blunt about it, did not want to be there, did not want to get off my patio, did not want to go to the classroom. And I say that to say I love my students and I love being there and I love teaching. Like I absolutely love it. And I didn't fill up for it. and I didn't want to go. And so I literally walked into the building and my classes start at 930. I walked into the building and I walked straight to my office. I didn't say hey to any of my colleagues, like literally straight to my office, walked in, I shut the door and I immediately, my office perspective, my office at UAB um, where I teach is set up to be very very intentionally grounding for me. Like I spent a lot of time putting a, two rugs in there. There's like a little corner. I can't make this up. There's a corner in my office that has a cushion and it's hidden behind a bookshelf and it has a pillow and a blanket that I literally can go into and wrap into a cocoon and just like sit in the corner of my office and feel safe for like two seconds, right? Um there are incense in there. There's a essential oil diffuser. I'd never turn my fluorescent lights on. So like there's just like lamps that are calming for me. There's a salt rock. Like it is very intentionally set up for my safety um, in a way that brings me peace. And that's that's recent. That's just a semester have I done that. I went and like redid my whole office because I'm like, I have to have a safe place on this campus that I can go to, that I can retreat to no matter what's going on. So it looks like honoring myself, um, which we talked about in a previous episode. But this day in particular, I walked in and I took off my shoes so I can get bare feet on the ground, which is very typical for me when I'm in my office or in my home. Like shoes come off, socks, shoes off, my feet are on the ground. I see you laughing over there at me. Just imagining me in academia of all places. Do you have like any like foot spray just so you don't have the smell Mm of feet everywhere? I, I'm I'm chill with that, but I know some people are just so anti-feed, it's not even funny. Yeah, I, I do not. I do not because I take baths so my feet don't stink. Um, and the reality is, yeah. <laughs> well, the reality is like I am out of my shoes more than I'm in it. And so like when I when you don't wear shoes, like your feet breathe. And so they typically don't stink because like there's there's flow of air around your feet. Um, but but no, I don't like I I do not. I do not spray anything. And, you know, obviously, if someone's coming into my office, I will put on my shoes. But most of the time, my office 
it, it's like the door shut. Like that's my safe place. Like I don't, I make it very clear that I don't want anyone in there. Like this is my place. Don't come in. Um, but this day in particular, like I found myself laying on the ground in the middle of my office with my shoes off, my arms spread out wide, my legs felt out wide. And I'm looking under my desk because I just happened to be, again, laying on the ground in my office. And I just found myself like noticing that there were a lot of extra holes that aren't supposed to be there. And then I just like let myself go to a space of like when they were putting this together, someone clearly got a little messed up about like what what holes go where and where screws go. And so I just kind of let myself get lost into like the present moment of what was right in front of me, like looking at these holes under my desk and it helped ground me. And so, and this is something I really think is important to talk about. Did I go from being completely dysregulated, no desire to walk into the classroom to laying on the ground and be like, all right, I'm great now. Absolutely fucking not. But I went from being, I can't go into the classroom today. Do I need to cancel my class? I'm laying on the ground in my office just trying to get some semblance of grounding, which we're going to have an entire episode on coming up, to, okay, do I want to walk into this classroom today? No, not really. But I can do this. And I, I noticed I went from a 9 or 10 maybe on dysregulation down to maybe a 7. And it's noticing that progress and holding on to it will continue to decrease. Like I will continue to get back towards that sweet spot of a five. Yeah, I think <clears throat> there's something powerful to like being able to be honest with yourself in that space too. Like it's not like all of that effort that you've put in still doesn't get you down to a five. Like, and that's okay, right? Like, and the more that you are able to build up kind of a foundation of health right maybe you don't get to a 10 and all of that effort brings you back down to a five because you're only at a seven right or maybe you learn how to function at a seven when you need to and you're okay right like but i think it's not it's not like hey if you flip this magic switch right you're gonna find a way to solve things when you're not feeling good right like that's not you're not selling snake oil with this and i think that's what's um powerful right is like i think it's it's not something that's going to solve things all the time for you but it's something that's going to help you deal with them it's going to help you be interacting healthier in your day-to-day -day, right like i think there's something so powerful with having that at work like i don't know a lot of people that have a workspace that enables that besides like people who work at home it's like I work from home a lot of the times. Like, what does it look like to set up my space healthy, right? Like, I've been working in a little dungeon for the last year and a half. And it's not until, like, last week that I finally set my desk up to a window and, like, got a little chair in my office and have, like, a blanket I can use. Like, I, it, and it just hits, it hits so different whenever, like you're emotionally regulated not just from internal processing and grounding but from physical surrounding and where mm. you put yourself in and i think i don't put enough effort into thinking that through right like it's really interesting like are there moments in your life where you're like hey this is a space where i'm not safe like mm -hmm. i know like 
so you have a place at school right do you have a place at home as well right like that it's your porch i would say right like or is there something else that kind of like solves that right like is it have you have you been able to create those spaces in all these like kind of important places for you yeah i you know it makes perfect sense um and i'll answer that as two parts so one yes absolutely like my whole house and this was something when mia and i moved into this house when was that december of 2021 so going on two years ago i think that's about right i could have those dates completely wrong but i think that's about right that's whenever I saw your last house go on the market. So <laughs> touche, so touche. Yeah, everyone wanted to buy it. I know. Um, yeah. So like I think when I moved in here, I made this entire space for me and yes, and Mia. Um, but the reality is I'm here seven days a week and she's only here four days a week, which is is still most of her week, right? But I was like, I have to feel safe in in my home. And so I spent a lot of time and energy and and money making this me like my living room. I mean, I don't think I would have set my living room up like this if I would have been married. Like my couch, and this is gonna sound like it doesn't work and doesn't look good together because like I'm about to be using some intense colors, but like they it does work, and I'll maybe even upload pictures in the show notes one day or put it on social media. But like my couch is till, like a dark till, and all the paintings in my living room are pretty much like this light pink with gold and silver and till and every room in my house is mostly lit by candle or has like dimmable lights um my bedroom like I am sitting right now in my bed with like you know those really 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 soft pillows that you're like oh my gosh these pillows are so soft okay I have like three of those on my bed but my entire bedspread is that soft so it's like such an intentionality. Yeah. Um, so most of my house is my safe space. I would definitely say my patio because I can be in nature and not destroyed by mosquitoes, which makes me very, very, very happy living in Alabama. Um, my upstairs living room, I consider that space pretty sacred. So there are times when Mia and I will watch like movies up there together and um are up here together technically and we'll have some popcorn and stuff like that but for the most part like that's not space that like she's not allowed to eat in there she's not allowed to uh, jump on that couch or to play on that couch like there's a huge couch downstairs that she can play on she can do tumbling on she can jump on but that space is like a if I can't be outside for some reason because it's too cold or it's too hot and I absolutely positively need to be somewhere safe like that's my space to go and like she knows that and she's welcome into that space with gentleness and with calmness and without hyperactivity and if she's hyper I have to lovingly say hey mommy needs quiet time now here are your four options that are not jumping on top of me and she's ADHD so like that's a real thing um yeah, so that's what it looks like in my house. Like it it has become like a sacred space to me. And I mean, right now recording this podcast, I have a candle lit that's intentional. So if at any point I'm starting to feel ungrounded, I look at the flame, the flickering flame of the candle and I bring myself back, back to here, back to now, back to where I'm at. Um, and I do want to caveat that real quick because that is not how it 
always was. Like at the beginning of this journey, I was dysregulated when I first started getting back in my body. Like I realized I was dysregulated more than I was regulated by far. Like 90% of the time I was in a state of dysregulation. And um, it was hard. It was challenging. It was a process. And at that time, trying to go from a 10 to a 9 was progress. Like huge, huge fucking progress. And literally that would look like this is in my old house. Um, my hammock was inside because there was really nowhere outside to put it that felt safe. Um, so my hammock was inside my bedroom, literally. <laughs> and you've been to my old house, so you know like that bedroom is huge. So that makes sense that I could still have a bed in there and a hammock. But it was always very, 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 very low lit. It was the center of the house. There were no windows in my bedroom. Like it was literally the center of the house. Um, and I would go in there and I would put on some very relaxing music and I would get in my hammock with my weighted blanket. And Brock, I would maybe have to lay there for two hours before I went from a 10 to a nine or maybe an eight to be able to function again. And I, I share that to say, this is a process like this is there are times now like it's worth it. There are times now when it is a flip of a switch where I can be like, oh, oh, shit. I am very hypo aroused and I'm feeling very disconnected and my brain is foggy and I can't think straight. And I yeah, I, I can feel that acknowledge that and go do something for five minutes that puts me back into my window of tolerance. but. And that's something that's that's important to share here. My window of tolerance used to be very narrow, very narrow. And over time with a lot of work and a lot of healing and a lot of therapy, big proponent of therapy and, and some other practices that you, you should probably integrate into your life in some fashion based on whatever's best for you, my window of tolerance has now expanded. And so things that used to rock me and used to send me into um, – being very under-regulated or over, like hyper-aroused or hyper-aroused, um, now they tend to not send me outside of my window of tolerance as often. And when they do, it's easier to get back in my window of tolerance. But it was not always that way at all. And the beginning can be terrifying. Um, so I'll, I'll pause here to see if there's anything you want to engage with there. But then I definitely, after that, want to go back to your other question about like, I mean, most of my life is spent not in safe places. Like, what does that look like? So I want to go back to that as well. But I want to pause to see if there's anything that would be helpful to clarify. Yeah, no, I think um, the the thing that I'm just kind of taking for granted, people understand, but um, maybe if you could take a second, like, what is what is the difference between hypo and hyper arousal? explain mm -hmm. those terms for people that way um they don't just do a google search right like <laughs> um or have to yeah. have to think back to last last week's episode like what is what is hypo and hyper arousal for you like when you use those terms yeah absolutely i would definitely say if you didn't listen to last week's episode go do that because the whole episode is talking about that for sure um but i will say it kind of different depending upon the person so for me and typically what you're going to see, and maybe I'll use more generalizations instead of just for me for this, when you're hyper aroused, your thoughts tend to be sped up. Um, for some people that can show up as frustration, it can show up as anger, it can show up as 
um, anxiety or feeling like you're crawling out of your skin or this intense feeling that you need to do something, but you don't know what you need to do. It can be massively stressed or overwhelmed. Those are going to tend to be hyper aroused. And so if we're looking on a scale of zero to 10, those are generally going to be your, your seven, eight, nine, and 10, like can be crawling out of your body feeling. And if that peace and calm is your four, five, and six, then the other end of the spectrum is going to be hypo aroused. So what that may look like is you don't want to do anything, or it could be feelings of depression, or it could be feelings of being lethargic. It could be overwhelmed to the point of freeze. So feeling frozen, feeling like you can't move, feeling like you can't do what you need to do, like literally like you can't. Or it could feel like sometimes to me, it feels like I'm like trying to walk through molasses or quicksand, like you can be very sluggish. Um, the thoughts associated with that can be everything from no thoughts, like completely like just frozen, can't think straight, not having any thoughts. It could be slower speech to feelings of like, I don't want to do this. Like this isn't working. I don't want to do this. Are things ever going to get better? And I think it's very important for us as people And for everyone listening um, and for you, Brock, to also start trying to recognize, like, let's say you have that alarm that I keep talking about that's set like three times a day. When it goes off, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And now trying to decide what state you're in and put a number to it. Like, oh, I'm hypo aroused. So I'm I'm thinking that I don't want to do this right now. And I feel like all I want to do is go lay in bed and take a nap. Or I don't even want to do that because that means I have to move from the current position I'm in. I just want to freaking sit here. All right. I'm clearly at a, a one or a two. Like I'm pretty hypo aroused. Hmm. What tools are there to maybe help get me to a three? And the first tool that's always there, that's the most important tool is acceptance. Acceptance of where you're at because whatever you resist persists. So be like, okay. Right now, I'm at a two. I don't want to move from the spot. I'm going to set a timer on my phone, and for five minutes, I'm going to not move from the spot. And then you can go into your regulating resources. Yeah, and I know, I know you just went into all of that in the last episode and kind of unpacked it, mm-hmm. but I thought it was important just as we're like really deep in this to just take a moment before we mm-hmm. start to like figure out how to tie a bow on it to just make sure, mm-hmm. okay, like. When we're talking about these things, it's there is an overstimulation and an understimulation, right? Mm-hmm. That that causes from where like this hypo and this hyper, that being able to name that is what allows you to understand when you need your safe space. It's what allows you to know mm-hmm. if you are dysregulated or not, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, because like you're saying, right? Like what you what you were just saying before I asked that question, like this this space of like being able to process that out and like being able to lay on the floor and like understand where you are and get back to where you need to be. Right. Like I think that only comes from understanding the words. Right. But that also comes from living them out. And like, as you're adding to that capacity, right. As you've like gone through this process and you now have a higher capacity, you don't get triggered by things as often right? You're also removing negative 
factors, right? Like you're taking things away that would have gotten you there. So it's this process of like on both ends of it, if you're working on the moments when you're hypo and when you're hyper aroused, like it means that you're adding to your bandwidth on both ends of that spectrum, right? To where there's a, mm -hmm. there's a larger middle ground there that is healthy. Um, and I think that's really cool. And like, I've noticed that in you, like, and I think that's where it's important to not just hear the words, but understand what they're meaning and then understand mm -hmm. how can I approach each one that way. It's not like I'm just really good whenever I'm hyper aroused, but when I'm hypo aroused, I am done for the day, right? That's what I am right now. Like when I'm hypo, like my branches are cut off, like I'm just, I'm just going to like waste the whole day it's gone like and so yeah I, I think yeah thanks for going into that i know um it can be a little much but i think it's important for us to continue to like double down on those things no it's very important and i, I think i definitely want to hit on the other the other aspect of that question is like what does it look like when i'm not in that safe place like that's incredibly fucking important and a lot of our lives are lived like that and I have a couple of answers so from the beginning when it was a lot harder and I was all dysregulated a vast majority of the time and at this point and there's a lot of situational factors around it but at one one day I remember I was sitting in church and um something in the sermon was very triggering for me and I gave myself permission. So it starts the giving yourself permission. I gave myself permission to get up and to walk out. <laughs> and I went to the bathroom. And this is a, a little trick for anyone who needs help or needs like a lifeline in the middle of environments. And this can be like you're at a family event or you're at a, in a restaurant or you're like pretty much anywhere. Like nobody's going to question you needing to go to the bathroom, right? Because we all have to go to the bathroom sometimes. So I walked out of the church, um, little sanctuary area or whatever you want to call that, and walked into the bathroom and ran cold water on my hands. Took some deep breaths, like so integrated some breathing, which we'll talk more about in future episodes. Then I went back into the service and I started feeling dysregulated again. And I gave myself permission to look at my friend, which this was very hard for me coming from my background and my trauma. To look at my friend and I'm like, I think the words I said to her, like leaned over and whispered, I got to get the fuck out of here. And fortunately, like she had known kind of what was going on in my life. And we had had those type of conversations a little bit. And she's like, you need to go. And I'm like, yeah, and she's like, let's go. And so she gets up and we walked out together and we went our church, the church I used to go to. I don't go here anymore. It had a kid's playground and we found ourselves sitting on the, the swings and I was crying and she was crying and we were just processing a little bit, like just talking out loud and processing um, what came up for us. And that's that's a big part for me. And I've realized and I keep realizing more and more. And um, Brock, I'd like to invite you and I to come back to this as a part two together next week as well to be able to dive into some experiences where we felt this and what has helped and what hasn't helped. So I want us to go back into this. I think it's very important. But for this situation in particular, um, that's what I needed. I needed permission to leave an institution that frowns upon you walking out and like expects you to kind of stay in it. And in particular at this church, um, 
I didn't feel very safe. And so it wasn't safe for me to stay in that sanctuary. It wasn't. And leaving and giving myself permission to do that and going out on a swing with a friend and rocking. That's what swinging is. It's rocking. It's imagining you have your little kid who that's who was triggered in that moment. It wasn't my adult self. It was my little kid, the little child inside of me. And the swinging is a rocking. It's a rocking sensation to calm your body, to help your body know I'm okay. And I brought a friend so I would know I wasn't alone because my trauma, my patterns, my triggers were freaking the fuck out, having to stay where I was freaking out. No one around me know I'm freaking out. And then when I was able to retreat to my bedroom or wherever I was able to go as a kid um, or in my marriage, I was alone. And so nobody was there to witness. Nobody was there to witness or to like hold space for me. So yeah, it it's giving yourself permission. It's choosing to honor yourself. All the things we've been talking about, loving yourself enough to put yourself first and not care if the pastor in the small church saw me walk out. And afterwards, when people came up to us, because there was like a little eating gathering thing after um, at this particular service, which is why we stuck around. Afterwards, when people came up to us asking, what was going on. It's just like, I'm okay. I needed some space. I walked out on the playground. My friend came with me. We chatted. We're good. Like you don't have to go into it. You don't have to open yourself up to not safe people. And I know we want to do an entire series on that. And I didn't, I didn't open myself up to those people and I honored myself. And that was in the beginning. Just like the grace to be able to have that in the beginning, like the, the security for yourself to not have to go and share with them. I think like, that's really cool. I um, also think it's really cool that you're able to step out because the strength it takes to be visibly seen going physically mm-hmm. to like take care of yourself, like it can ease that can easily turn to shame that can get you to stay sitting where you're at. So, man, that's so important. Um, I that's should a cool story. I should clarify. When I say the beginning, in the very, very, very beginning, I would have stayed in that fucking situation. There are many scenarios when I was at church and I was sitting there trying not to lose my shit and I didn't give myself permission to walk out. So I still say beginning when I'm talking about that story because I was very deep in the pain and the dark night of the soul. But that dark night of the soul journey for me was like a year and a half long. So like when I say the beginning, that was probably six months into all this work, maybe seven, eight months in. But it still just feels like the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It still feels like the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we learn about ourselves, the more we learn about this process. Like mm-hmm. it's always the beginning. Because every single time that you get over something, you realize, hey, there's a lot more resources and tools and like things I can do that I had no idea even existed. Right. And then mm-hmm. it's the beginning again. Right. And so you'll probably look back and say that this, right, what we're doing right now is just the beginning of of just this beautiful process for you. So yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. And now it's easier. Like now I didn't have a lot of tools at the beginning. So like my tools were literally just putting my hands under cold water and hoping to God it helped. And now I have an arsenal of tools, which we're going to explore more obviously throughout the duration of this podcast. But I think too, as we go to wrap up, I want to reiterate that now what that looks like is intentional planning beforehand. Like I recently went on a healing retreat and I'll dive into a couple of experiences that I had during that retreat in our next episode when we talk about part two of this. Um, 
but it was, I needed a single room for that retreat. I had to have my safe space. I had to have a room, my room that I did not have to share with anyone else. And I brought my resources. I brought incense. I brought candles. I brought my way to blanket. I brought a stuffed animal. Like I brought my things. So today it looks like planning ahead and knowing where I'm going and what I'm getting myself into and making sure I have my resources with me. But it gets easier. It doesn't, let me take that back. It doesn't get easier. It gets more peaceful. And my therapist says that to me all the time because there are days and I'm like, does this shit get easier? She's like, it gets more peaceful. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it becomes something that you learn how to manage, right? It's mm-hmm. not easier, but you now know how to manage it. You know that you need to bring your stuff. That doesn't make it easier that you have to have the mm-hmm. stuff. It doesn't make it easier that you need to have the room. But mm-hmm. you know that that's what you need, right? And like for me, it doesn't make it easier that I have to turn people down more, right? But I know that it's what I need. It doesn't make it easier mm-hmm. that I don't answer all my text messages. But it, I know it's what I need. Like, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, like not surrounding those moments with shame or with embarrassment, but with like power and with purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what growing into the next stage looks like. That's what it looks Absolutely. like to not be in the beginning um, is to... Yeah, just learn how to normalize a lot of these actions. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this in part two. I know we're going kind of long here, but it's because this is some good stuff. Um, Do you have anything else for everybody this week? There's a couple of things. So in part two, I think that Brock and I will start diving into more where we've experienced emotional dysregulation recently and um, what that looked like, how that came up for us, what that experience was like, engage in those episodes and those moments um, with a little bit more intimacy and with some dialogue and conversation around it. And then I think we'll also talk a little bit more in that episode about how to help yourself stay regulated in the presence of dysregulated others, because we all have that. And those especially that are sensitive to the energy of others, that's something that's hard to do. Like when my child is dysregulated, how do I stay regulated? When your spouse is dysregulated, how do you stay regulated? Um, And I also wanted to end with sharing that there's a lot of science. This is all science. There's a lot of science out here about this, about what it looks like. The it can be tied back, tied back to your nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system. There's so much lingo out there saying the same thing, and this is just the way that I found to dial it down to make the most sense for me because there's so much lingo. And so feel free to explore all those things. I'll put a ton of resources in the show notes, but find what works for you. And for me, the window of tolerance, that zero to 10 scale works best for me. It may work best for you to learn more about your parasympathetic nervous system and scientifically what's happening in your body. That's not that's not best for me. Um, and we will cover those things, but not in as much detail. So figure out what works best for you, what your tools are, what your resources are, And make sure that you check out the show notes for additional resources on dealing with emotional dysregulation and how to get into that regulation. And in our next episode, we'll cover part two. And then after that, we'll start diving into more grounding. What are some tricks to ground your nervous system, no matter what's going on around you? So please do not forget to subscribe to the Energetic Pathway podcast and share it with all your friends, all your family. You can even share it with people that you don't like. Share it with all the people. Um, And make sure you follow us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
on Google Podcasts and on YouTube. And thank you so much, everyone, for being with us today. And we are hoping that you have a great rest of your week.